You're listening to The Authenticity Show, where you get to eavesdrop on great conversations about health, creativity, and the quest for excellence. Your hosts are Carlos Casados and Satch Purcell. Our guest today is Maritza Worthington. Maritza Worthington is a functional nutritionist based in Fullerton, California. She specializes in issues around gut health and hormones. Now you can tell Carlos and Satch love talking about this stuff, and they're both fairly knowledgeable about this stuff in their own ways, but it's nice to have an expert to ask questions to. So here we go, let's dive in. Good evening, you guys. Welcome. I'm so happy to be here. We have a wonderful guest with yeah, us. Maritza, right. welcome. Thank you. Happy to be here. Awesome. Yeah, so we're going to um, get into health tonight, right? Ooh, so we, yeah. we do health creativity and the quest for excellence, and we haven't done just good old-fashioned health in a while. We haven't. Right? The, the foundation, the body that all those other wonderful things happen through, right? So, um, so Maritza, what do you do? So I'm a functional nutritionist, and I do a lot in the world of gut health and hormones. So that's my specialty. And um, it's just, it's fascinating. Once I start digging into one piece, it's like everything is uncovered. And so I look at the the whole picture of what's going on. So I treat everything non-specifically is what I do. Oh, interesting. And you, people get better. Oh, you treat wow. everything non-specifically. <laughs> Could you expand on that? What do, what do you mean by that? Yeah. So by treating the body as a whole, right, looking at like the needs, um, I'm able to fill in the gaps. And so I have a lot of people, you know, they're dealing with autoimmune issues. They're going to the doctors and not getting all the answers that they're looking for. And there's a huge population of those people out there. Hmm who are just not getting the results that they need. And so when they come to me, it's like, it's frustrating. And they finally have somebody who's willing to look at the whole picture, see them for who they are, the whole Mm. thing. And so that could be really empowering and liberating for somebody. Oh, nice. Yeah. That's fascinating. So what drew you to get into it? I mean, why, why did you go this direction with like healing and medicine and health? I went through my own health struggles very early on in life. Mm -hmm. So in my early 20s, when most people are partying, um, I was having a really bizarre incident, and it was with my kidney. And so I went to the doctors because I thought I had a UTI. I'm like, okay, something's not right. And there was also a small part of me, you know, I think more of an intuitive part of me, that was thinking it was something deeper, Hmm. but I wasn't sure. But it was that moment where I was laying in the bed and I'm like, do I want to go? Gosh, do I want to get up and go to the doctors or do I want to just lay here? And in that moment, I had like, it was like a small voice that said, if you just lay here, that's how people get complacent and they end up dying. Hmm. Wow. And I was like, okay, maybe this is a sign. So I got in my car and I went to the doctors. The doctor, she saw me and she was like, you know, there's a part of me that just wants to give you antibiotics and just leave it at that. There's a small part of me that's thinking maybe we should do a CAT scan. And so at that moment, it was my decision. And I think that was a really powerful realization because I think 
we don't often take ownership for our health. We're waiting for somebody to be our savior. That's true. It's overwhelming almost. Yeah. For most people. it, It was. And so at that moment, I'm like, this is really up to me. Do I want to just take the prescription and hope for the best? Or should we dig deeper? So I told her, I said, you know, if there's just a small part of you that feels that we should dig deeper into this, then, you know, let's do it. Well, thank goodness we did, uh, because I ended up finding that my, I had a huge blockage. And I went into surgery that evening. Where was the blockage specifically? My ureter tube. Oh, goodness. Yeah. Mm, Wow. So my kidney was basically on the verge of rupture. Whoa. And so by the time I got in to see the urologist, because of that CAT scan, she told me, you need surgery right now. And it was so bizarre because you would think I would just be like, okay, let's do it. Mm -hmm. But I still like, I fought it. I was like, can we do this tomorrow? Like I I have things to do. (laughs) (laughs) I can die tomorrow. I'm busy. I'm busy right now. I'm like, I just didn't want to see it. But you know, I think... Sometimes we get those flags and we don't want to see it. And she was like, you don't get it. Your kidney is on the verge of rupture. You need surgery now. AKA you're going to die if you don't do this. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I was like 20, you know, 22. And so I'm like, oh, okay. (laughs) I guess that's it. I need surgery right now. And um, my temperature had gone up to 106. And that was right before the surgery and they were giving me all kinds of stuff. Nothing was working. Mm -hmm. And so I just, my body really needed the surgery at that moment. And so I went through the whole thing. It was a big recovery process after that. And that's really when I started to dive deeper into meditation, into nutrition. And I started to, you know, reflect on why all of this was happening And sure, you know, there's a genetic component. I have a horseshoe kidney, which I also discovered um, throughout this process. It sticks onto the the steak better when you you toss it. (laughs) I guess, right? Otherwise, it wouldn't do that thing. I mean, it's good luck, right? Yeah, you put it over the door. Yeah, yeah, I was going to (laughs) say, only if you're over over above the door. Got to face it the right direction, otherwise. One day, yeah, I'll be in that. (laughs) (laughs) But um, yeah, so I I discovered I had a horseshoe kidney, which Mel Gibson has, by the way. Just fun fact. Hmm. And um, you're, a that, better, you're a little better tempered. Than <laughs> I was, was going to say, did, <laughs> you, you. did you call him up the next day and say, hey, oh, bro, what's up? We've got something in we, common. We've got something in common. <laughs> <laughs> My fellow horseshoe. <laughs> <laughs> We're both brave. That's yeah. Cool. <laughs> nice. Nice. Yeah. So um, I found out I had a horseshoe kidney. That's genetic. But on top of that, I wanted to know what triggered everything. And I think that's a really important question to ask. Well, can, can I ask you a question about that question? Yeah, Is, sure. Um, what was it about you and your background and your beliefs or whatever um, that caused you to think, hmm, I have this blockage. I have this emergency thing that came up. I have a horseshoe kidney. I think I need to soul search or dig deeper inside myself to figure out why that's happening. Like what, what is it about you that made you think I need to go inside my consciousness to try to find this answer? Did you have beliefs around that already? Or was it the beginning of that? Or did you hear something? Like what, what was that? I'm curious. Well, it's interesting because I started to dive into Buddhism ah. when I was 18. And okay. I actually went to Catholic school like my whole life. I'm but... so sorry. <laughs> it's okay. I Let me see those wrists. <laughs> Um, so it was kind of bizarre for you know me to do that you? in a way. 
E- oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, that was over with by the time, you know. Corporal punishment. But still kind of scary. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, yeah, I started to dive into my own sort of self, ex- you know, I was exploring, looking for answers. And um, <clears throat> even though I was raised a certain way, I just, I found myself at Barnes & Noble just opening up different books. And Looks um, like we got ourselves a reader. Yeah, I'm a reader. (laughs) And so I think I had already kind of started that, Mm. you know, um, as far as meditation goes. I had started to practice. And then after the kidney thing, it was full-blown because Mm. that's how I recovered. Uh, I would go outside, I would ground, and I would meditate and... I felt so connected in those moments. I felt a wholeness that I hadn't felt before. Hmm. Wow, very nice. You know, I've noticed that when people talk about Buddhism, it's very common to say things like, I dove in or I got into Buddhism. Yeah. Because yeah. it very much is an inner kind of a thing. And it just, is. I've, not, I've noticed that tends to come up. So so you got into Buddhism and started to search. Yeah. And search inside yourself. Now, um, uh, did you have some exposure, um, like within your your family or friends, uh, towards these more holistic types of things, or was it something that um, you 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 really were were finding something different as as compared to your past? I would say I was finding something different, um, which kind of made me the misfit in the family. Black sheep. <laughs> yeah. <Nah. laughs> I was like, what is this? You know, um, and that was that was tough. At times, mm. what was what was the attitude of health and wellness uh, within your friends and family at that time? My family's Mexican, so they eat a lot of Mexican food, which is not very healthy. <laughs> Delicious and overcooked, mm, yeah, yeah, <laughs> and lots of lots of carbs and lots of lots of cheese, yeah, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. queso fresca, and, oh yeah, okay. burrito, burrito. <laughs> So I was just trying to make everything healthy. And they were like, oh, okay, what's, what's this about? <laughs> mm. um, so, yeah, I, I think I was sort of uh, the misfit at one point. Me and now, you're too skinny. I always. <laughs> I think I just got that like last mm. month. <laughs> Did you? Mija, you need to eat more. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I love my Mexican family. Like, there's, they're so united. Mm-hmm. You know, there, there's a lot of good in it. Um, it's a tribe. Yeah. It's a strong tribe, but uh, definitely went through some interesting moments. I think now they just kind of accept it. They're like, oh, yeah, you know, it's, it's a lot more, um, you know, I've, I've, I've been on this path for a while, so they don't really question it as much. They just know, just don't even offer her the flan. Just, <laughs> just don't even offer That's it to right. her. Well, yeah. you're the uh, curandera now. Yeah. Right? Yeah, the curandera. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the healer, yeah, of the family. Um, but, you know, with that comes the healer's curse. Ah. You can't always heal the ones that you're closest to. Of course. Yeah. yeah. True. Yeah, yeah. Tell us about it. Yeah. That's that's how it is. Yeah. Right? Um, but it makes you a better healer, don't you think? Yeah. Yeah. You so know. you learn to channel with different um, clients and people. Yeah. And accept uh, that there are some things that we just are not in a position to change. That's an important part of being a healer, isn't it? Being oh, able to yeah. accept that. Because you can help a lot of people, I think. I know you can. Um, but there, then there are some people that have, for whatever reason, 
what they're going through, what they are, who they are, where they're at at that time in their life, that they just, um, more than anything, we have to just accept that that's um, what's going on for them, you know, that we might not be able to be the person that can help them to their next, you know, stage or whatever. Um, that's an interesting thing. Yeah. Wouldn't you say, Satch? Oh, that, absolutely. Like yeah. being able to not be overly attached to what it is that you're doing, but still do what you're doing with full investment of self, like yeah. loving what you do, loving the, the people that you're helping. Um, and yet also accepting that there's another order of things, you know? Yeah. I think, um, the greatest healers out there are the ones that are just really good at being with people mm. and they just sort of use their own training as the excuse to go ahead and be there for people. And a lot of them you're going to help. And a lot of them you're just going to be there for. And that's just how it is, you know? Um, like, you have a horseshoe kidney. <laughs> yeah. Right? And that's your genetics. And that doesn't mm -hmm. need to be cured. You're fine the way you are. That doesn't Absolutely. need to be cured. That's just part of your story. Um, I like to always say that um, I love to be around people with Down syndrome. They are amazing. Right? I just love to be around them. And do they need to be cured or they're just who they are? And they're fine Ooh. the way they are. That's just kind of how it is, you know. Um, but they still need things, you know. And so we can be there for them, mm. right? So. Yeah, there's right. limits. There's boundaries. Yeah. I like to always remind people that all the greatest physicians of every culture throughout all human history are all dead now. So <laughs> medicine has limitations. It certainly does. Because they're all dead. So they, you can't cure <laughs> death. You know? What's the prognosis, doctor? It looks like you're going to die. Yeah. eventually <laughs> right right exactly yeah. yeah so so there you go but speaking of life in between birth and death mm -hmm. that's where you come in right so you are a functional nutritionist and mm -hmm. so um what's the approach to functional nutrition how, how do we enhance life that's a good question so i like to look at what's optimal you know how can we get to somebody how can we get someone to a more optimal state and I can do that by looking at different markers, you know, starting with different systems. And you do it by one system at a time. Mm. And when you say markers, you mean like, like from, from testing and, and assessments and like lab tests yeah. and things like that? Okay. Lab tests, but I also want to mention that it's important to get to know the person and their story and what's going on. So I don't like to think of a person as just being... A bunch of numbers or something. Yeah. Yeah. So it has to be a nice balance. So that's in um, your intake and your questions and all that. Yeah. So I spend a lot of time with that and I like to correlate. So where, where do everything, where do the puzzle pieces come together? And so maybe somebody's telling me that they're, they don't have motivation. They're struggling to get out of bed and then I'm looking at their cortisol and it's really low or may, maybe they're really high strung and it's very high. And so that's, you know, connecting the dots. Hmm. And then if it's really not connecting with the lab test and I'm like, okay, I, I got to call the lab. What's going on here? Mm, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. So you're, you're looking at the, the results, um, within a background, within a context that surrounds that person. Yeah. And I yeah. think that's really important to do. Yeah. Very nice. Okay. So what are the broad categories that you do look for? Like just, uh, for the person listening to kind of know, you know, what, what do you kind of seeking in that so i mostly always start with the gut 
It's always the best place to start, as you probably know. Is that what your instincts tell you? <laughs> My gut instincts. <laughs> your gut yeah. instincts. Uh-huh. <laughs> Follow your gut, mm-hmm. but don't forget to nurture it too. <laughs> um, so I always start with the gut because most of the time there's dysfunction there. And, you know, I can give somebody all the best supplements in the world, but if they have gut dysfunction, then they're not going to absorb properly. Mm-hmm. So then it's a waste of my time and their time. You know, um, Chinese medicine always says that um, if you have a very complex disease, um, start with the center. And the center is, is uh, you know, symbolic of digestion. So it's the same same way. Something's really crazy. There's so much going on. I just don't know where to begin. Just just look at their digestion and just start there. The yeah. second Great brain. starting point. And yeah. to piggyback on that... Um, Ayurvedic medicine says the same thing. They say the root of all disease, the origin is found in the digestive system. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. That's I perfect. know that one yeah. as, as a vata body type. Mm. Ah, interesting. So you're, you're, you're a vata. You know what's mm-hmm. funny? I used to be a vata when I was young. And then I did an apprenticeship with um, a Chinese herbalist for, for about a year and a half. He gave me a lot of herbs, a lot of Chinese herbs. And it changed my constitution. I swear it changed my constitution. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Because most of the time you're two. So you have two, but you you have one dosha that's more dominant. Yeah, yeah. I was I was Vata Kapha. And now I'm um, predominantly Pitta. Very interesting in middle, how that changed. Right? Very interesting how that changed. But You got more of that fire in you. Yeah. Took a lot of... Uh, kidney yang tonics for a long time <laughs> with them <laughs> change things That's now he can shoot laser beams out of his eyes i can't wow. i can't be skinny I as right easy place. as i used to yeah, it's but, impressive yeah yeah i've I seen can. him do it yeah <clears throat> it's more lightning bolts but like you use food as medicine absolutely right so um how do you approach that like what, what are what is what is functional nutrition um say about how you do that what's the mechanism there so i do the intake right i really get to know the person's story um and then from that point i figure out what are what's the data that we need what are the labs that would be most useful to that person and then I'm able to really investigate and then help that person um, with food. And so there's ways that we can also uncover what their sensitivities are. And so that's when it comes down to bioindividuality, figuring out that person's bioindividuality. Hmm. That's a nice term. I like that Yeah, term. that is a, yeah, yeah. a very good term, actually. Um, yeah. How do you end up determining <clears throat> the difference between, say, like um, whether they're innately not well suited for a particular uh, food versus what's going on with them currently. Like, you know how some people will get a temporary um, manifestation of, of being, you know, rejecting a food or rejecting a certain substance. And then after a while they're completely fine with it and they can eat it and, and they don't have any of those issues. So is there, is there a difference there or? So that sounds like you're describing a leaky gut. Oh, and so when you have leaky gut, you actually have more sensitivities. But once you do a lot of the repair work, then you have less sensitivities or your sensitivities can actually change. So it's not always the same. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So some people freak out. They're like, oh my gosh, you're, you're making me take out all these foods. And then I tell them, you know, don't worry. Once things kind of shift, you might be able to bring back some of these foods, maybe not all of them, but some of them. 
So things can fluctuate, you know, just like how we talked about earlier, um, how your constitution fluctuates. Um, So can your dietary needs. It doesn't have to be so fixed. That's interesting. So in Ayurveda, they have Vikruti and Prakruti, you know, the, the inherent constitution that someone is born with. And then there's the constitution that develops as a result of environment and age and exposure. So they look at both, which is interesting. And that kind of seems like it's what you're talking about. Yeah. So I would say I do that too, as, as far as looking at metabolic body types, figuring out what that person needs, like macronutrient wise, mm-hmm. digging into uh, unique food sensitivities. So there's different layers to it. Um, and then also like following intuition. Uh-huh. So that's part of it too. So I love data and I could nerd out, you know, all day about data. <laughs> <Woo-hoo>. <laughs> But, you know, I, I can't, you know, turn away and not honor the intuitive aspect of, of what I do as well. And do you find that the longer you've practiced and the more clients you've worked with, the more data you've looked at, does that somehow make your intuition better? Does it get better over time? It does. And that's really exciting. Yeah, that's I'm neat, like, isn't I it? I knew it. See? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What is Drop it about that? Boom. <laughs> yeah, yeah my, right. my clients will just look at me like, are you psychic? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> That's pretty wow. cool. I knew you were going to ask that. I think what most people are afraid of when they start to get dietary advice is that their life is going to be boring. Right? That food's going to be yeah. boring. <laughs> oh, that's right? a big one. So uh, I'd like to talk about that. Yeah. You know, um, how exciting can food be when you're dealing with functional nutrition? I like to make it fun. And uh, I like to look at it as an adventure. So I tell them, don't focus on the stuff that you can't eat. Okay? Like we kind of, we go over it a little bit, but I make a, I make a bigger deal out of the foods that they can't eat. I'm like, okay, look at this as, as if you're going on vacation. You know, you're going on this new adventure. You're trying all these new foods. New country, maybe. Yeah. You know, it's a culinary adventure. If you look at it that way and you you have some playfulness to it, which I think is huge, then it's, it's not, it's not such a sad story anymore. So do you point people to recipes and things like that or, or share stuff that you do? Absolutely. Yeah. I love to cook myself. And so I create things in the kitchen. That sounds painful. (laughs) Does it burn? (laughs) <laughs> just kidding I'm not sensitive <laughs> stop cooking yourself <laughs> so I just I like to make it fun mm. and you know I, there's different ways to go about that and it's all in the flavors too I, I like to say it's all in the sauce if you have a good <laughs> sauce with it mm-hmm. then you're golden that's true like I make a really really good nacho cashew cheese really Ooh. I do so I'll make alternative nachos. Okay. Wow. You, you know, the listener can't see the serious look in her <laughs> eye right now. I know. But boy, you see those eyebrows, you know what she's saying is true. Yeah. I worked on that recipe a really long time. Okay. And my family really likes it. Oh, so here comes the it's finger, gotta by be the way. Good. She's pointing oh, yeah, her finger right definitely. now. Just so you know. You know, you, yeah. can't, you can't see this, but we do. And, and you just put that over corn chips. Grain-free chips? Grain-free ah, chips. That's what is. I was waiting for. We okay. were for that. Yeah, yeah. Mm. All right. Um, well, I, I think, um, you know, convenience and, and, uh, fun with eating are, are probably the things that keep most people from going down this path, 
you know oh but i but i i love my in and out oh but i love you know i could never say goodbye to you know like me i could never say goodbye to my lattes in the morning you see what i mean so sticking your head in the ground it's the ostrich technique yeah, yeah. let's just bury our heads and we'll just, it will go away right right <laughs> you know so um uh so yeah like cashew nacho cheese you know it's just not something that somebody thinks about oh well i'm sure I can use cashew cheese instead, right? People don't think of that. That's not that's they not don't. common language. And and you know what's funny is 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 back in the Renaissance, during these big royal feasts and and whatnot, um, there still remain today that these wonderful recipes for um, you know cakes and sauces and um, you know desserts and various kinds of things that they made with non dairy stuff. They did it with cashews. They did it with almonds. They did it with walnuts. And they, there are a ton of those recipes that still exist. Um, when I first encountered that was way before I saw, you know, the vegan restaurants and all that kind of stuff. I, I looked at a book that had these and I thought, wow, um, that's interesting. And, and they explained it that since they didn't have refrigeration, things like cream, you can't really sit the cream out. You've got to, you know, drink it pretty quickly unless mm-hmm. you, you know, have it in a pretty cool environment. And so these things during these parties would spoil unless they made it from things that would last a little bit longer. And that's the description they had in the book. But there are all these wonderful um, recipes for that. I should try to figure out what book that was. It was so long ago, I don't, I don't recall the title, but it was a historical um, set of recipes from the time period. Yeah. I think maybe when I was working at the Renaissance Fair all those years is where I saw it. Yeah. They probably had a lot of fermented food, I don't know. If they just let it sit and... <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, that would be good for their gut. Mm-hmm. And that's a question. Do you do your own fermentation? Have you, have you played around with that? I have a few times, but now I'm kind of spoiled with, you know, they sell so much of this good stuff at the store. So um, sometimes I just buy it. All right. Yeah. So now you contribute to the economy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. A little bit. Um, that's cool. Yeah, we've been enjoying some nice uh, fermented honey garlic lately. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. I Love made that. some more of that. I still have some of that at home right now. So, so remind good. me when you come over. Oh, okay, cool. cool. Yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. Um, I would have brought some, you know, but yeah. But then there's the smell. So yeah, exactly. that's true. That's, that's <laughs> delicious. It doesn't though. bother me. Yeah. <laughs> so good. I like fermenting. I, I, I've only been so bold as to make yogurt, uh, kefir. Um, sauerkrauts and various kinds of pickled vegetables i haven't even brewed beer yet speaking mm. of alcohol but and fermentation but uh yeah, those are the few things that I've, I've fermented um i haven't done anything else other than that mm. it's not too hard i think sometimes people overcomplicate it mm. but it's like if you have mason jars that's half the battle yeah 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 absolutely. good point yeah good point point. and as a freemason um that helps yeah I'm totally <laughs> silly. Sorry. Just kick me off the show. Put a, put a lid on it, Carlos. Yeah. Oh, oh, oh my God. Yeah. Um, now, um, the gut. Um, do you do any specific testing for the gut? Is that something you can do? Or is that still something that is in development? Because I know that this is kind of a... In recent years, this has become a hot topic, this idea of, you know, um, microbiome and, you know, um, gut, gut health and all that. That's um, a shitty question to ask. It is. For, you know, but <laughs> it really is. Yeah. yeah you know, just saying. Um, I'm a real stinker. But, you, oh, but anyway, um, <laughs> yeah. So does functional nutrition have some approaches like that? Or is that something you sort of have to um, approach it from a different way? So I do a lot of gut testing as well. You know, there's times where it calls for it. 
Um, there's other times where I ask certain questions and it's pretty apparent that that person has leaky gut. I mean, most people do. Most people do. Okay. Yeah. So um, that one's a little bit more of an obvious one. Uh, the less obvious thing is looking into pathogens and yeasts and bacteria and all that fun stuff. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How do you, I mean, that seems like, where do you get information about that kind of stuff? I mean, um, it seems like there are so many different strains and we don't really know what they all do. Um, I mean, as an example, I, I spent the money and did the, the Viome test. Okay. And I was really dissatisfied. Sorry, Viome, but I'm dissatisfied <laughs> with, this, with the service. Um, because um, they did this test and, and I was super excited that I was going to get all this really actionable data that was really specific to me. And I ended up coming back with um, very generalized statements. Like, you know, let me think how, how they put it. It was like, um, you have you know, this level, like you know, medium or below or above the average of people tested of your age and et cetera, et cetera, of this particular um, bacteria. Okay, what the hell yeah. does that mean? So and if, if they're how's just that actionable? Doing, so they're just doing normative data from a, a population that may not exactly. be healthy anyway. It you might may, be more healthy mm-hmm. than or that. Or it might be, but, but, yeah. but it, there, isn't, there just isn't enough accumulation of, of information over time to really use that. And, and the, they gave me a long list of um, do's and don'ts sort of, but with no explanation as to whether or not this is general or is it really specific to me. And they, they would talk about things like, for example... Um, Brussels sprouts, all the brassicas, you know, cabbage and, um, you know, and, and broccoli and cauliflower. Mm-hmm. And I'm not supposed to eat any of those things hmm. because it cultivates the wrong uh, microbiome is what it said hmm. for me. But I'm thinking, why would that be? I mean, if I don't have necessarily a, an allergy or a food sensitivity, or maybe that is a food sensitivity mm-hmm. is what they're testing. Mm-hmm. I don't know, but they're saying like, you know, so, so there's a huge list of, of veggies and things. That, so all the stuff that I was thinking, all right, here I am doing this, um, you know, pretty low carb, like a, like a, I would call it a keto friendly diet that I do um, that works for me and, and so far. And, and so once in a while, you want to do have a pizza maybe or something. So I'll do like a cauliflower crust, you mm-hmm. know, and do something like that. It's really good, um, but I'm not supposed to have that. Like it's, it's on the really bad category, like do not eat this kind of thing. And I'm thinking, is that really useful? You know, I don't know. I mean, I haven't eaten as much because of it. Mm-hmm. I have chosen to kind of mostly follow that um, and experimenting a little bit with how do I feel after I have, have cauliflower? How do I feel after I have a, um, Brussels sprouts and things? And so far, um, I don't know if I noticed a difference really. Uh, I know Deepak Chopra was ranting and raving about Viome and it's, it's very, <laughs> very popular and it's a, you know, I don't know how much of this is just sort of marketing and getting people right. to, you know. Do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, I think people can get caught up with, you know, a certain test and they're not looking at the big picture. Mm-hmm. And so that's why, you know, I think there has to be a good balance between testing but also having a good practitioner, mm-hmm. you know, all these elements really coming together. Um, because you can't base everything off of just one test. a little while ago that um, many, many people have leaky gut. Mm-hmm. 
and I'm familiar with leaky gut as as a concept. I mean, certainly, you know, it's something I've read about, but it's not something that's really part of Chinese medicine. So maybe could you talk a little bit about uh, what are some of those common symptoms? What does that look like? What would, what would people need to know about that? Yeah, so when it comes to leaky gut, um, that basically just means that your intestinal barriers are not very strong. So what happens is gaps are created over time. Is that in the epithelial layers? Is yes. that what we're talking about? Okay. And so you have uh, your tight gap junctions. Mm-hmm. They start to open up. Mm-hmm. And this happens due to food sensitivities. Um, this happens because of gluten, regardless of whether somebody is celiac or not. Mm-hmm. And so gluten has a protein, zonulin, and it just goes right through. And so what happens is that gets into your bloodstream and that can go to different parts of the body. And so sometimes people with leaky gut, they might say that they also have joint pain. Mm. You know, so you mm-hmm. have, that could be one symptom is the joint pain. Um, it could be anything from like bloating, you know, to joint pain, to feeling foggy, brain fog. Mm-hmm. You know, so it, it could be a lot of different symptoms. Okay, so joint pain, brain fog. So isn't the idea that... Um, so Autoimmunity, sorry. Autoimmune, so, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so uh, isn't the idea with leaky gut that um, your intestines are a strainer, straining out, you know, um, larger, you know, keeping larger particles in, you have to break them down smaller to, to absorb, and that with leaky gut, it's almost like your strainer has a few pencil holes poked into it so that you get some large material that's kind of getting into your bloodstream. Yes. That's kind of the idea. Yeah. And And it shouldn't be. And if you have leaky gut, you most likely also have leaky uh, brain barriers too. Oh, okay. Yeah. So the, the barrier between, is this in the, um, the blood circulation or lymph circulation or the blood? I'm thinking the blood brain barrier barrier that people Mm -hmm. talk about. Okay. Mm. Gotcha. And do you think that some people just sort of have, well, you just kind of said that actually, that, that some people have more of a, that's permeable in some cases. Yeah. And then those people would absorb things that they shouldn't be absorbing in their brain, basically, is what you're mm-hmm. saying, yeah? Which can cause disease. So what are some mm-hmm. things that, if, if somebody hears this and they think, yeah, maybe that sounds like me, and I want to try to change my diet just a little bit right now, and if I start to feel better, then I know that there's maybe something to this and it's worth seeking somebody out. What would be um, a few things that you would recommend that anybody do right now to, to see if they feel better? Um, they can try the elimination protocol for about 30 days, 30 to 60 days. So take out the gluten. You okay. know, take it out for a little while. See what happens. Okay. You know, If you reintroduce it and you're starting to feel the joint pain, achy, your brain fog, headaches, bloating, you know, starting to feel some of those symptoms again, then that could be a sign. Yeah. But also keep in mind that, you know, your gut does need some healing. You know, we need to support our gut because we're not doing that enough as a culture. Hmm. Yeah. So, but the first step is ruling out what needs to go. Take hmm. out the offenders. Okay. Yeah. So no pizza, <laughs> no, no pizza for 30 days. <laughs> yeah. Try it out. Okay. Yeah. All right, and for for the listener, there <clears throat> there are a lot of uh, um, I'm imagining sneaky places where where gluten gets in. Is that true? Oh yeah. Okay, so yeah. let's talk about that. 
So uh, gluten can be tricky because it's in your grains. It's in, it could be in noodles. It can be in crackers. It can be in a lot of things that people don't think about. Yeah. 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 Just to clarify for people, gluten is grain protein. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's the protein part of of the wheat or the protein part of the rice, right? Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. So look at those labels. Yeah. Now, um, do you find that some people handle gluten just fine and they're not sensitive to it? They might not have celiac disease. Okay. But I would still like to see their test results. <laughs> oh, okay. So do you ever see anybody that does test results and they're just one of those people that are okay with gluten? Or, or is that just something you just don't come across? Um, sometimes, but like I said, if they need gut healing, I would still take it out for a certain amount oh, of time. Oh, I see. Yeah, just see. to so there isn't any competition. Okay. Yeah, so once you start doing some of the healing protocols, you don't want any outside competition. Mm. Question for clarification on this gluten thing. Mm-hmm. Um, there does, from what, I, from what I've read, does seem to be this difference between you know, the ancient grains version that you may contain gluten and then these uh, modern bread uh, forms that have something like 400% the amount of gluten that used to exist. Um, and then this additional, uh, substance that's created called gliadin, which is another byproduct of these new grains that have been bred for basically their fatness, their bulkiness, their increased protein, their, their rapid growing and disease resistance and all that. Yeah. So, I mean, what makes grains worse too is the glyphosate and the things that are being sprayed on the grains as well. It's an mm. added layer that can cause more inflammation in the body. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. So unfortunately, you know, there's a lot of great foods that are also being sprayed. So yeah. I think that's also a part of uh, what's aggravating. So people are being overexposed to all these um, chemicals and things that they wouldn't have otherwise, and it's starting to accumulate in their bodies. And do you see that also in the gut tests and things, or is it more like you see that in the blood? And Oh, yeah. I could test for intestinal permeability. Okay. So that's just, you know, the same thing as leaky gut. Mm. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's something that could be tested for. Um, or I just ask certain questions and then it's pretty apparent. Okay. You know, this person most likely has um, some form of leaky gut. And it, it's like a spectrum, right? If you can think of a, uh-huh. a vast spectrum. So somebody might fall, you know, a little bit on the range and somebody might be way over to yeah. where it's causing a tremendous amount of distress in the body. So that's called very, very leaky gut syndrome. <laughs> that that is, extra right? leaky. Yeah. Extra leaky. Extraordinarily leaky. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I Maybe about a month or so ago, I read an article that was talking about a study that was done where they took these families and they had them uh, cook meals at home and they were using just regular non-organic fruits and vegetables and they tested their urine every day. And then they would switch and then they had the family do only cooking with organic fruits and vegetables and they measured their urine every day. And they, you know, like some of them went from, from the regular fruits and vegetables to the organic and then other families went vice versa, went from the organic back to the the regular. And they did report that they found um, quite significant differences of pesticides in their urine. So, so, um, uh, I mean, they, they really did show that, yeah, you are ingesting a lot of pesticides when you mm. are eating non-organic 
stuff. You know, really, it's like significant amounts that they can yeah. tell. In the, in yeah, the and I was just reading recently that one of the, the worst ones these days, uh, if you're not careful, one of the highest amounts is, is uh, in kale. Mm-hmm. And kale's so popular yeah. right now because it, it's one of those foods that it's become, uh, it's become a meme unto itself, you know? Yeah. You eat more kale and yeah, all this right. kind of stuff. But it's so heavily sprayed because bugs love to eat on the kale. They um, like so it just as much as we do. They like, yeah, they're like, they yeah. want to be strong, so they eat the kale. Um, but yeah, and, and so that's one of those ones where you really should, mm. you know, fork over the extra dollar or whatever it is and get the organic kale the, and make sure it's not that, not sprayed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. There's, right. there's, there's that concept It's not of, worth it. It's too much. There's that concept of the dirty dozen. You know, there's like mm-hmm. supposed to be 12 that... 12 fruits and vegetables that are just known to just be very dirty. Yeah. Lots of yes. pesticides and things. Yes, yes. Yeah. And they also um, have the clean 15. The clean 15, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like I think it. asparagus is spin. on that. Yeah. <laughs> As- asparagus, yeah. Well, that's well, the only one I remember. What are some of the ones on the clean 15? Okay, so I have the dirty dozen. Ooh. <laughs> let's do the dirty dozen first. Okay, let's, let's get straight to the smut. It's getting juicy. Strawberries. Mm. Spinach. Mm-hmm. Kale. Nectarines. And apples. That's the first five. Preach. So strawberry, spinach, kale, nectarines, and apples. Okay. Now, next. Grapes, peaches, cherries, pears, tomatoes. Celery and potatoes. So there we go. That's 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 the dirty dozen. Now, folks, this does not mean that all of these things are dirty, right? It, it, it means, you know, you can get organic ones and, you know, mm-hmm. clean them properly. Clean them extra and, well. Yeah, extra, extra well. Okay, so here's the clean 15. And again, I would also like to point out that these could be dirty, right? So mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, yeah. There's, there's that too, right? Yeah. Um, and the clean 15 are avocados, sweet corn. So not corn, but sweet corn. Mm. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Is there such a thing as a not sweet corn? Apparently, sweet corn is a particular, you know, species or something. It's well, a, I guess there are there are hundreds of forms of corn. Yeah, hundreds. Yeah. So avocados, sweet corn, hmm. pineapples, sweet peas, frozen specifically. They say they point out that it's frozen, frozen sweet peas. What? Um, they onions, were unfrozen at some point. Yeah, they were. They were. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. It follows that. I know. Uh, onions, papayas, eggplants, asparagus, kiwi. Cabbage, cauliflower, and cantaloupe. So that's the three C's. I cantaloupe. Um, can't, yeah. <laughs> I'm telling you. Try as I might. <laughs> Broccoli, mushrooms, and honeydew melons. So these are all clean. And a lot so. of those are covered. So there's like a protective layer exactly. over them. So it makes Avocados, it cleaner. Yeah. yeah. Why the hell right. would you have to spray a mushroom when you're growing it in a controlled setting? Like you've got, you know, usually it's, it's grown on trays on a mycelium you know, or the mycelium is fed. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. why would you ever yeah. spray something like that? That would be just so dumb. Yeah, I hope we never sense. get to that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So, there you go. That's the Dirty Dozen and the Clean 15. So. Speaking of mushrooms, mushroom broth is the new bone broth these days. Oh, I love, yeah, shiitake mushrooms. Chaga. I make a really great immune boosting soup with shiitake. Oh. It's very good. Nice. Sounds good. It sounds delicious. Okay. I think I we're think coming over for dinner. T- was it Tuesday that you said? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> after our, after our run, we're gonna yeah, perfect. Come over. Yeah, and, and excellent meal. Um, Mushroom broth. You have mm. someone to call if you're sick. 
Hey, yeah. awesome. Hey. <laughs> I, th- I think I think we need to schedule an, an authenticity potluck. Totally. Mm. And Absolutely. we can all get together and bring our favorite healthy dishes. And oh, I know. Authentic foods. Yes. yes. Authentic foods. There we go. Authentic We foods. should do it like like <laughs> once a month or something and have a, an authenticity potluck and and we're Call not me. we're not going to invite scary scary sister Mary from from your grade oh. school. So she won't be there. I think yeah. that really was her name. That's was really it? See, creepy. How did I know? I know. <laughs> Just stuffing those Sister those Mary, those, yeah. those sacraments with gluten. Yeah. You know? <laughs> those glutinous Eucharists. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Get you every time. You're going to hell. I am. I am. Yeah. I'll have good company though. So I'm not worried about it. Yeah. <laughs> male hormone stuff mm-hmm. so is a part of what you do also like um like blood testing and things like that for uh determining let's let's say someone wants to be more athletic and they're they're feeling weak or cloud you know cloudy headed or there's libido issues and things like that do you also do like blood tests to test for testosterone levels and all those things as well and then give them a recommended path to to uh, improving that yeah, absolutely. And I actually don't, um, I don't always have to use a blood test for that. So oh. yeah, there's also a saliva and urine test that I do for that. And um, I highly recommend the Dutch panel. Uh, that's one of the best panels that are out there right now. Wow. It's called when the it- Dutch panel. <laughs> <Is it really? laughs> yeah. I don't know why that's funny. It just seems funny to me. <laughs> the Dutch I don't panel. know why you made it funny. But. Beware the Dutch panel. <laughs> well, it sounds like, you know, some kind of like medieval witch trial or something <laughs> we shall the, bring her to the dutch panel the dutch panel i just it just reminds me of my uh, my 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 uh rabbit my old rabbit smidgen <laughs> she was a dwarf holland lop ah so i used to call her my little my little dutch gal and you know it's it cute see <laughs> so, it, it's inviting yeah it is it is um <laughs> dutch panel i love it so this dutch panel uh what what, what does it test um, so that'll tell me about steroid hormones, so sex, stress hormones. Mm-hmm. So I'll see the big picture of what's going on there. Mm-hmm. And of course, you know, make those correlations. Because um, the lab tests are only as good as the practitioner, too. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah. you know, making those connections and making sure that I give something that's really targeted for that person. Um, you know, with men, it, estrogen dominance is a big thing. It, it doesn't just affect women. It's affecting men, too. And so, you know... You know, if if you're a man who's drinking a lot of beer, watch out mm, because mm. that's increasing your estrogen. So beer's for sissies. So it's actually not saying. very manly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Sorry. Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Bunch of sissies. Yeah. <laughs> that's hilarious. Um. So is the Dutch panel a saliva test, as you're talking about? Well, it's it's either um, there's different ones that you can do, oh, um, but okay. there's saliva, there's urine, and it just depends on the situation. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Very good. Um, and um, so I imagine a lot of these these tests that you do are going to very specific labs. Uh, there's just specific labs that do this as a service, and is is that how that works? Yeah, and I'm I'm part of a medical director program. Okay. That means that a physician might look over your results oh, as well. Okay, um, I see. And then I'm also looking over the results and uh, like a coordinated effort kind of thing. Yeah, I mean. You could look at it as integrative. Mm-hmm. Um, and usually, you know, the physician will just be really quick. 
And so, you know, I look at it from a nutritional perspective, from a functional perspective. And it's interesting because the ranges are different. So what doctors look at, um, they're called pathological ranges. What I look oh, at, functional ranges. Got it. Um, there's a big difference. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, I'm looking at some of those gray areas. You know, it might be a case where it's not a full-blown diagnosis yet, but I'm already seeing that it's problematic. Um, well, I'm, I'm fascinated by this. So, so there are functional ranges and pathological ranges. This is interesting to me because um, if you look at the history of uh, Western medicine, Western medicine really got started off, uh, you know, if you go back to old medieval times, a person is on their deathbed. Usually the priest and the doctor are called in about the same time. Because <laughs> they're going to say, hey, doc, can you save this person? Right? And the priest is also there because a lot of the times they can't, right? So last rites, okay? Hmm. So the idea is um, today's modern medicine very much was influenced by and, and sort of filtered through this idea of a person is dying, can we save them? And that's a very interesting question to ask as a healthcare provider, right? Um, take ancient China, for example, right? That typically was not when the doctor was called in. Right, the doctor was, um, uh, you know, being hired to serve the emperor and the important people around the emperor and to keep them healthy. And the emperor had concubines and needed to have lots and lots of children. And so, th there are all these reasons why the why the doctors were pulled in to prescribe their herbs for longevity, for fertility, you know, um, to try to live a longer, healthier life. So. The interesting thing is um, today, what is modern medicine so good at? They're so good at emergencies. Mm -hmm. so Absolutely, doggone good at emergencies yeah. and diagnostics. Because that's mm -hmm. that that was that was the origin of the, of the tradition, right? Mm -hmm. So, um, what's funny? The reason I bring this up, right, is because, uh, and I've seen it. Um, you have a problem, go to the emergency room. They basically check to see, are you going to survive the night or not, right? If it's not a super duper emergency, looks like everything's stable, you're okay, it's only a kidney stone, it's only a whatever it might be, right? Um, you know, here's some pain meds or whatever, you know, or here's maybe some antibiotics, whatever. go home and then follow up with your doctor. But they'll usually say, but come back if things get worse. If, if <laughs> because, things get worse. Yeah, because then we can save you see the interesting angle mm -hmm. there, right? Mm -hmm. So um, basically the message there is um, you're not, uh, not always obviously, right? But, but quite frequently, I know many people have had this experience. You're not sick enough for us to save you yet. And that's a very important distinction to make between being healthy or not, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> and so when you look at a pathological range, hey, if, if this marker is at this level, you're in real trouble, but don't worry. It's elevated, but you're not there yet. And you're talking about functional levels, which mm -hmm. is a very different thing. That's this idea that, um, okay, yeah, you're not at this uh, in the red zone yet. I'm looking right? at the gray. Excellent. You're yeah. in the gray. Beautiful. This, gray. this you can work with, right? Yes. So um, I think that's, that's a, a, an interesting angle for people to be aware of. That's important to Absolutely. know. Absolutely. 
that there's a difference there. Yeah. And, you know, I think people need to know, like, when do you see a certain practitioner or a doctor? You know, because sometimes they don't always know. And like, I, I just had a guy who called me the other, the other night. I think he found my number somewhere mm-hmm. and he was actually having an emergency. Wow. But he also knew he was having gut issues and I, he must have come across my website or something. Mm-hmm. And it was 10 o'clock at night. Um, I happened to have my work phone on me and I answered uh, the call and he's like, I know that you do a lot of work with gut, but you know, I'm in so much pain and I don't know what to do. And I told him, I'm like, you're having an emergency. It sounds like you need to go to the ER. And he's like, are you sure? You know, it's kind of like that moment I had (laughs) when I had my kidney issue of like, is this really happening? And I told him, I'm like, I would not wait to find out. You should probably go. Mm -hmm. And uh, good thing he did. He called me the next day, (laughs) getting out of the ER. Apparently his... uh, appendix was about to burst Mm, yeah good Good thing he went in yeah darn good thing yeah but you know i have no problem telling people hey there's a time for the doctor don't come to me if you have a broken arm i don't do emergency Mm -hmm. you know but i can help you before it becomes you know severe you might want to see a functional practitioner if you're in that gray area and you're not getting a diagnosis and you're starting to feel some symptoms, but you really want to dive into the root of what's going on. And, mm. you know, that's a, a situation, especially with autoimmune conditions, you know, anything um, gut related, hormonal related. That's a good time to see a, a functional practitioner, you know, before it turns into a big problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So and it's really rewarding on my end because I I. I see people that they're in a lot of pain. They're suffering because they're in that gray area. Mm -hmm. So they don't really know what to do. And it's that situation where the doctor's waiting for it to get at a certain pathological range. (laughs) But it's clearly an issue. And so that, I think, is very painful for me to see as a practitioner that they're in this, you know, limbo state and they're in so much pain because of it. But I'm like, here's my hand. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. Let me give you some relief. Let's see what we can do to help restore the body. Yeah. yeah that makes sense. Nice. I, I bet that that happens, I'm thinking, in terms of blood sugar. You know, people, you know, doing rest, or, um, what is it, fasting blood sugar tests and glucose tolerance tests and things like that. That, that range of what is considered pre-diabetic mm-hmm. and diabetic um, versus functionally, you know, optimally, as you would say, um, where that should be. Could, could you speak to that a little? Yeah. So, I mean, di- diabetes, that's a really good example. Um, also liver. So sometimes I'll see some signs with liver, like, ooh, that's a little high on my end of things. Mm-hmm. You know, let's like do... Like liver enzymes or something? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like different liver markers might be you know, going in the wrong direction. Um, I, sometimes I look at people's complete blood counts, like, you know, show me what you got, bring it in. You know, I'm looking at it through a different lens. I'm not trying to be a doctor. I'm looking at it through a functional nutrition lens. Mm -hmm. Um, But I've helped a lot of people by doing that. Hmm. Yeah. Because it's like you see the storm coming and it's like, okay, let's, 
weather the storm. Mm-hmm. It's important that people don't wait. If they're starting to feel the symptoms, the signs, they're starting to see the flags, that's for a reason. Mm. You know, and I, I think oftentimes people just kind of, you know, they're, they're in denial about things. They don't want to see it. Or they think um, that they can't be helped. And my like they field, just have to live with it or something. Yeah, like yeah. like you know, okay, I guess this is just you know How it the, is. the shit end of the stick or whatever. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, or they'll say it, it's genetic. There's nothing I can do, mm. and that's not true either. Because now we're starting to find that there's certain things environmentally, or you know, if we're talking about toxins, mm-hmm. um, things that we're eating that can manipulate gene expression. So you might be predisposed to something, mm-hmm. but that does not mean that it's your destiny. Hmm. What would be an example, because I like this idea, but what would be an example of something that you've seen or heard about that, that is like that? Like where um, you know, the person is just thinking, it's just like, uh, I have to just put up with this. It's genetic, it's how it is. And then you know, with what you knew, uh, you're either able to help or you have a, a unique perspective on it that could actually make a difference, a real big difference, where someone maybe wouldn't have hope and you could give them hope. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm thinking about um, thyroid issues. Okay. Because sometimes that runs in the family. Uh huh. Um, autoimmunity runs in families too. So that's really interesting. And that it might look different for everybody within that family. Mm-hmm. Um, and so sometimes they'll say, oh, well, my mother had thyroid issues, you know, so I'm going to get thyroid issues or I'm having thyroid issues. And so maybe that's just the way it is. Um, but there's actually a lot that you can do, you know, to help uh, reverse, you know, some of these issues that are coming up, um, looking into the entire pathway. Because um, sometimes Western medicine doesn't have the time also to look at the entire thing. So they're looking at, you know, what's an emergency. Um, but when you look at the entire pathway and you understand where the dysfunction is within that pathway, then there's a lot more that you can do to create balance. And so um, what I do is really inspire people to have hope hmm. with their health. And sometimes it's a situation where they might feel completely hopeless. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's easier to, to tell yourself the story of, oh, well, it's my genetics than to actually you know, think about doing the work or, you know, hiring someone that could help you, mm-hmm. you know, so sometimes it's also a, a, a story that people tell themselves. Sure. Yeah. Um, that's, that's a good point. You know, um, I think a lot of times when somebody says something like that, oh, my dad died of a heart attack when he was 58 and my grandpa died of a heart attack. So I'm probably going to die of a heart attack. Right. Is that um, when people think that those things are familial, that when they think they're genetic, it might just be that it's really more the habit of the family that, that led to that. And True. it's not so genetic. It's really mm-hmm. that, well, maybe grandpa and dad and son all have certain habits that they engage in. That's mm-hmm. a great point. You know point. what I mean? And, and it's yeah. really, it's a learned tradition that's being handed down. And it's not genetic, you know, um, it's certainly a possibility, you know, that, that needs to be looked at and uncovered. Absolutely. Um, well, yeah, you know, to your point also uh, spoken earlier, uh, about thyroid stuff, um, I know at least four people, women in particular, who were diagnosed with um, 
various thyroid, uh, either hypothyroidism in most cases, sometimes hyper, but usually hypo. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and this diagnosis uh, went back many, many years and they'd seen doctors over and over and over again during that time, gotten blood tests and is it TSH? Is that the right hormone I'm talking about? For, yeah. 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 So but, TSH and levels and things like that, um, measured on a regular basis. And these people decided to get off of their meds mm-hmm. and do other protocols, whether it be, you know, Chinese medicine or homeopathics or various kinds of protocols. And it's been many, many years and none of them had to go back to the medication. And it's been years and years and they're absolutely fine. Even though they've literally been doing this since they were maybe 15 or 20 or whatever, you know? Anyway, um, I know that my example isn't um, gonna prove anything, you know? But for me, it just opens my eyes uh, to uh, the fact that we have to maintain an open mind about it and, and realize that some of these things that um, a doctor would maybe advise against, uh, mm-hmm. it doesn't always work that way. Like, like there's more to the story is what I'm trying to say Absolutely, in a roundabout way. <laughs> there's more to it. Yeah. And what you're yeah. saying is ab- absolutely true. You've seen this too? Yes. I've seen it within my practice, you uh-huh. know, working with, um, Hashimoto's clients uh-huh. and, uh, even my mother, you know, she was also able to overcome her thyroid issues and it's something that I've looked out for because, uh-huh. you know, I know that she she went through it herself. Um, and, you know, it's interesting because it was brought on by stress uh-huh. as well. And um, there's a lot of factors that come to play with autoimmunity to create the perfect storm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. My but, mom's been in remission for a long time now, decades. Yeah. So this isn't just like some one off. You know, if you and I have both seen this, I don't even do what you do professionally. I have herbal training and things like that, but I'm, I'm not, that's not what I do, but I run into this a lot, mm-hmm. which is kind and, of interesting. And yeah. I'm, I'm going to blow everybody's minds and add my mom to the list too. So all three of oh. us have had some experience with this. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, my mom's situation was a little bit different. Um, she had very low thyroid function and was on, you know, Synthroid for many, 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 many years. Uh, and this was before I was an acupuncturist. So I was still a lot younger and she started getting some regular treatments and taking some herbs for other things. Mm. It was not for her thyroid. The assumption was, oh, I'm just on thyroid meds. Then she went to go get some, you know, annual blood work, a checkup, you know, with the doc. And he, he said, oh, wait a minute. He said, I think we need to lower your thyroid medicine. And he had to keep lowering her thyroid medicine and it got down really low. Now she never went off of it. Mm-hmm. But it's not supposed to happen. It's not supposed to happen. Her thyroid kicked in and started producing more thyroid hormone. Beautiful. And if she just kept taking the meds, the the pharmaceutical meds, um, it might have killed that. Yeah, it's very interesting. Yeah. So so he ended up reducing her medication down and it stayed down for I think several years. Wow. She you know, um now she was not somebody who got all off of it, but but the um uh the the Chinese doctor that was treating her um, wasn't focusing on her thyroid. It was just treating her patterns. Just so I like guess he, he might have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like like earlier, you know, you, we were discussing. You said that you you sort of just treat the whole person. You're not specific, yeah. right? You just looking sort of, at imbalances. Yeah. yeah, and and that's all they did with her. They just treated her patterns, and oh my god, oh look, the thyroid started <laughs> to kick in. You know, and, and, and work better. Yeah. You know, so <laughs> so there you go. Yeah. So 
it has to be fairly common if all three of us have had experiences like that. Wow. Oh, we have a, yeah. a fourth oh, one. And we That's have a right. fourth one in the room over here. Artina, a <laughs> purple fox over here, is saying yeah. that she has seen that as well. So. She oh, herself has experienced it. So I think this is a pretty good sample size. Now. Yeah, I'd say yeah. we're starting to approach uh, <laughs> sample size here. Yeah. 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 This is good data. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I think and mental illness is probably another one, too, within mm-hmm. that. That is something I have experience and with. And I'm sure you do. Yeah. Yeah, lots of experience with that. Um, you know, I will, uh, you know, come out and say that uh, many, many years ago, I was uh, definitely suicidal. Uh, absolutely 100%, you know, without getting into the details, um, let's just say that if I twitched, it'd be over. And I was on um, pharmaceutical meds for, for that, for depression, and they didn't help uh, at all. And in fact, uh, I don't know that they made them worse at the time. I, I stopped taking them and I found another way. Um, for me, it was a, as a multi-dimensional approach. I, I, I decided to do, um, research into brain chemistry and, and look about, you know, look up things like amino acids that would be useful to, as precursors to shift my brain chemistry a little bit, uh-huh. diet, you know, looking at sleep. I was incorporating, uh, meditations and various kinds of what people might call energy work, you know, yeah. uh, to create shifts in, in the way I think, the way I perceive and that led down a road to to um, eventually finding stability and, and recognizing that, hey, psychologically, I had a lot of stuff that was troubling me and I needed to deal with that stuff. And when I dealt with those things, the entire map of reality, you know, my entire um, subjective experience shifted. And so you know, I have no doubt that my neurogeography, you know, shifted. And, and I'm sure that the output of chemistry shifted uh, because my body felt different. And when your body's feeling different, how are you even feeling that if not through your nervous system and through chemistry and all that? So I have a strong belief that you can change those things. I just wanted to add the caveat that I would never say uh, you should not take pharmaceutical medications to uh, help yourself. I, I would say, think about it. I would say, consider it, look into it, find out if that is what you indeed need. You do know, your research. Do yeah. your research, ask around. Um, when I say ask around, ask people who, who have an expertise in the thing that they're talking about. Mm-hmm. Don't just ask anyone. Uh, don't just look online. You know, because you can be easily misled by what you read in the Google rabbit hole. Right, the Google rabbit <laughs> hole can 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 throw you off. Um, and since you don't have necessarily clinical training, you might be asking the wrong question, and therefore the answer you get might be correct, but not for you. True. And so there's all sorts of issues with that. You know, it's critical thinking, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but even though um, I, I do feel there might be situations where that could be useful, and and probably the best choice for someone. I also believe that we can heal. I believe that we can heal ourselves. And I love what you do because you have that same belief. You you talk about it all the time on Instagram and, and you, you convey the idea that you believe in our ability to heal, which I think is very encouraging. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. And I love what you mentioned because uh, healing is multifaceted, right? So we just look at one side of the diamond, but not the whole thing. And um, the emotional, the mental, all of that comes to play as well. The food, mm, right? It's, yeah. 
it's a pretty dynamic. Anyone who's a preventative practitioner is most likely going to be a lot more encouraging, empowering. Yeah. You know, because the, we work in that gray area where it is very positive. I love to see change in people. I love to see transformation. Mm-hmm. And, you know, to, to be able to stop a train that's headed in the wrong direction is just such an amazing feeling. Maritza, how is it that people who um, have become inspired by this conversation could get in touch with you, stay connected with you, find out more, have a conversation? How does that happen? Yeah. So, I mean, you could look on my website. That's Maritza's Medizen, M-E-D-I-Z-E-N.com. And and Maritza is M-A-R-I-T-Z-A, correct? That's right. And that's my name. (laughs) So Maritza's Medizen.com. You can also email organicmedicine at gmail.com. Okay. And uh, that's the best way to get in touch with me. Okay. And, and you have a, a, an Instagram too, though. I do. And I see that you post stuff. You post really cool videos and different stuff. Um, so how do they find you there? Yeah. So that's uh, Maritza's underscore medicine. And uh, yeah, I should be the only one there. So there <laughs> shouldn't be a problem. <laughs> cool. Thanks, guys. Yeah. yeah thanks for thank having you. me. You've been listening to The Authenticity Show with your hosts, Carlos Casados and Satch Purcell. Very special thanks to our guest today, Maritza Worthington. If you'd like to get in touch with Maritza, you can find her website at maritzasmedizen.com. That's M-A-R-I-T-Z-A-S-M-E-D-I-Z-E-N, maritzasmedizen.com. This show is produced by Oliver Altine. That's me. Our theme song, which you're listening to right now, was composed by Oliver Altine, and that's me once again. The featured interstitial song for this episode was called Bone Pile, and that's from an album of mine called Dark Light, which you can find anywhere you find music. Please subscribe to The Authenticity Show wherever you get your podcasts, and like us on social media. Leave us a review, send us a message, we'd love to hear from you. And our website is AuthenticityShow.com. Thanks for listening, and have an authentic day. Thank you.